You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to Across the Romeverse. It's certainly a somber Monday uh, in the Romeverse after what went down yesterday at the Stadio Olimpico. It's Steve here. Uh, you can tell by the tone of my voice, it is not uh, an exciting time to be a Romanist. I'm here with Jim. I mean, if we recorded this at about the 70th minute yesterday, this uh, would have had a much different tone to it. Uh, Jim, how are you, how you doing about 24 hours after that? I don't even know what to call it. Debacle? Uh, meltdown? Yeah. Whatever it is? Uh. Yeah, man, that was probably one of the more disappointing, like just head scratchers of a match that I've ever seen Roma play as a club. And I've been following this club for 15, 16 years at this point. Um, It's really frustrating to lose a match like we lost to, you know, Bodo or to, you know, the times where we've lost matches to Manchester United. Um, like that's those seven ones, those six ones. But a lot of the time with those matches, we were, there were extenuating circumstances, whether that was, you know, lack of depth or injury crises or, you know, trying to get players to actually be worthwhile. And it's just kind of blowing up in Mourinho's face with the Bodo match. With this one, we had pretty close to our, to a full strength starting 11. We didn't have cards door for Zaniolo, but we were able to get up to three one. And we're, we were looking good for a solid 70 minutes. And then it just collapsed in a way that I don't really think I've seen many football matches collapse before. Uh, I guess Roma just keeps on finding new ways to exasperatingly lose, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been a, a, a Romanista as long as you have about 15, 16 years, mid-2000s. We've seen Roma lose matches and lose them heavily. Like you said, Bodo this year, which was completely unexpected. I mean... I remember my first year or two as a, as a fan getting hammered by Manchester United in the second leg of the Champions League after winning the first leg 2-1, uh, getting hammered by Bayern Munich, getting hammered by Barcelona in the Champions League, I'm getting hammered by Fiorentina in the Coppa Italia, not even a, a superpower uh, type team like those others were. But 
in all those matches, Roma just played poor and, and got run out of the, the, not the gym, as we say in basketball, but like run off the, the pitch, so to speak. In this match, Roma had the match in control for 70 minutes, pretty much. I mean, Roma was the aggressor for much of it, like I was hoping they would be, considering the way we played Juve the first time around. And then it, it, it just it, it just went sour real fast. I mean, I can't believe, and as poor as Roma's been playing, and I was like saying this to my wife, who really could, could care less because she hears <laughs> me complain about Roma all the time. Like, yeah. as, and she just says Roma sucks is what she tells me because she sees me go through all these losses and everything as I waste two hours on our weekend when she'd probably rather be doing other things. And I'm like, as bad as Roma's been at times this year, I could have never seen them blow a 3-1 lead at home to this Juventus. And that's what kills me the most is it's this Juventus. This Juve has been struggling to score every match this season, practically that you watch them play or look at their score line. And they put up three in nine minutes. I mean, what the hell happened, Jim? Yeah, no offense to the guys who are currently on this Juve squad, but this is probably the least frightening Juve squad that I've seen when I've been following Serie A. Like, no question. I, like, you would agree with that, right? Like, this is probably yeah. the weakest Juve squad that we've seen. Outside and, of those first yeah. couple years back from Calciopoli. Yeah, and even then they still had, like, great players. Del Piero like, was still there, yeah. Yeah, Buff- like, Buffon was around, Del Piero was there. Like, they're... They weren't as good as they were throughout the 2010s where they were just winning Serie A like Bayern Munich for fun. But at the same time, they were better than what we probably see right now. Yeah. And this was just such an – there are – they, they have so many huge problems. Like, honestly, out of all the clubs in Serie A, all the cl- big clubs in Serie A have major problems one way or another. Roma has obviously this losing mentality that I don't know how they're going to be able to shake it. Juve – I mean, post Ronaldo, I don't really know what their plan long term is supposed to be. Inter and Milan, both Milan clubs are building up their current success on just completely unsustainable financial like messes. Like Inter has been actively searching for a new owner for years now because they know that they can't sustain the way that they're currently spending and keeping people. And the same with Milan. Milan is just kind of a mess too. But Roma is a way more infuriating mess because at least if Roma had was like going to get screwed over and like maybe go bankrupt or something like Inter seems to be on the verge of doing at times. At least Inter has been getting like Scudettos out of it, you know, whereas like Roma is so infuriating to watch because it's been so long since we won anything of significance, but the club hasn't been bad during any of that time either. Like I, I, I would, I would say that even like in the darkest moments of like Zaman 2.0, there were very good players at the club, right? Like there, and there are very good players at the club right now too. Like I still think that Lorenzo Pellegrini, Tammy Abraham, incredibly quality players. There's a reason why I'm now pretty worried that Chelsea's going to exercise their option on Abraham by the time the 2023 rolls around. He's been looking great. Yeah. Um, Lorenzo Pellegrini has had a really good season. And I mean, other players have had good seasons for Roma, but there's just something in the water, something in the air, something going on where this club just does not have the mentality of what it takes to win matches that matter. And sometimes they don't even have the mentality to win matches that don't matter, as we saw against Bodo. Um, something that I thought was interesting that might be part of it, honestly, is that Roma does have one of the youngest squads in Serie A. They definitely have the youngest squad of any of the big clubs. 
um, including Atalanta. Um, Inter, Milan, Napoli, Atalanta, Juve, Fiorentina, La La even Lazio and Torino and Sassuolo have older sides than Roma does. Roma is like one, like the 15th or 16th youngest squad in Serie A. And I think that the, a certain amount of this is that. And that's disappointing because I don't think that youth needs to be something that holds back a team from winning. Uh, we've seen before in plenty of sports and also in football, uh, younger teams find success. Like it's not, that doesn't have to be the way that it is. But a lot of the time when you look at this team, you say, okay, the guys who are the captains or like the top three players in terms of leadership are all under the age of 27, right? Like there's Mancini, there's Pellegrini as the first captain, Mancini as the vice captain, Cristante as the third captain. All three of them, I think have quality, I think should be part of Roma for a long time, but they're all pretty young still, um, or they're just entering their peak as players. I think we could agree on that. Um, and maybe the fact that our only player who's actually, you know, seen a lot, won a lot is Enrique Mkhitaryan and maybe Rui Patricio, but I, 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 I hesitate to put him in the same category as a winner as Mkhitaryan. Um, it seems to me like there's kind of a leadership gap or like a mentality gap on display just because of how many young players are being expected to shoulder a lot of burden. What do you think about that idea? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think youth has something to do with it. Uh, I think the youth excuse at some point has to has to go away, though, especially in a match like this, because they they didn't back down to Juve. You know, I was looking for a strong response. I tweeted it out after Tammy scored the first goal. Like, that's what I wanted to see from Roma after Thursday, because Thursday, we could talk about Thursday, too. Uh, you know, that was a completely different reason why Roma lost that match. They came out, yeah. they, they played terrible, and the referee gave them no help. We, we know that, you know, that was a, that was a, another uh, screw job by the refereeing association of Italy against Roma, where they <sighs> had to suspend a referee for like the seventh time. So, you know, and they're, a, a they're... second time against Milan, by the way, yeah, both, second time both against Milan, Milan matches ended with the referee being suspended for the next week, which I mean, look, I'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist. I know that sometimes on this podcast, I can make it seem like, Oh, the referees are out to get Roma or Zaniolo, but you gotta be kidding me on some of this stuff. Like, I don't know if you guys saw, if you saw that image rolling around Twitter, not just Roma Twitter, just like soccer Twitter of the pull down that Tonali did on Zaniolo in the box and how that did not result in anything. Um, there were just so many instances of things like that going on that you have to somewhat turn into a conspiracy theorist about the referee's influence um, on Roma matches. And you know, for Milan in particular, who, you know, I, I think they've got, had some of the highest numbers of penalty calls in their favor in the past several years. Yeah. So I, I, there's a lot to complain about with the rest, but you're right that they were also played poorly just in general Yeah. So um, I, against Milan too. I bring up the Milan match just because we haven't recorded since then. And, you know, uh, just to point out, you know, that match, Roma played very poorly. They, you know, it was admitted by Mourinho and others, but the refereeing did them no favors. In this match, the referee can't be blamed at all. You know, if we just quickly on the Milan match, I, that was that was so poorly officiated. But the mentality also comes into play in that match uh, with two players specifically who were suspended for this match, Karsdorp and Mancini. And I love Mancini, and I, he's probably up there with Pellegrini as my favorite player in this team. Uh, yeah. And I hope he's around for a long time because I, I rate him. Maybe he's not ever going to be like a world-class center back, but I think he could become, you know, one of the leaders for Roma. That's why he's the vice captain in Mourinho's eyes. But for him to take 
or put himself in the position at the end of that match, down 3-1 already uh, to drag down. I think it was Teo Hernandez who he ended up dragging down or uh, Leal. I can't remember which one it was at, at the time. J- just let him buy you at that point. Like, don't put yourself in the position. The ref's been so shit all match as it is to then give you the second yellow miss this one. And Karsdorp, um, you know, go- going along with the mentality thing, he got that first yellow card late in the first half. He was real fired up. Him and Salamakers kept going back and forth. And then someone else got in his face. He was really mad at uh, Teo Hernandez because he complained uh, when Roma didn't want to put the ball out after he had like dribbled forward or something. And he got into it with those Milan players. And you almost knew at some yeah. point the temper was going to boil over and he was going to get another yellow card. It was like the writing was on the wall. And that part of the issue was um, Maitland-Niles hadn't arrived yet. So there was really no other option for Marino to even take him out and you know, save him for this match yesterday because uh, he had a, a challenge right before he got that second yellow card. He was the one that fouled Teo, I think, um, yeah. to get the second yellow where it was like he was clearly going to get himself booked. And he did. And that part of that is the mentality too. Different mentality breakdown than they had yesterday, but the, the lack of maturity, even in a couple of our, I'll say, quote unquote, veteran type players, because they've been around the block a little bit. They're both in like their mid 20s and have played in yeah. plenty of matches for Roma. Like, don't put yourself in that position. Even the Cars Door play, if you watch it, and I, obviously it's harder in live time on the pitch with Taylor Hernandez mm-hmm. running at you, but Smalling was backing him up. Like, don't put yourself in a position to make a late tackle and then get that second yellow and miss the, the Juve match. Um, yeah. You know, and then it carries over to this match, and it's completely different players than those two. I single those two out because they were the two that got red cards needlessly in the Milan match. This match, it was just a complete capitulation. I mean, yep. three one up at home. It's almost like, you know, they couldn't. Be- maybe they couldn't believe they were up because as soon as Juve punched him in out in the mouth one time with that Locatelli header, it was like, oh shit, we're gonna lose this game. Yeah. And they did. Like at three one down, I think even Mourinho said in one of his comments, it's okay to give up a goal. But yeah. you can't just fall apart. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing to me is that at the beginning of this season, one of the things that I actually liked about what I was viewing at the time as a mentality shift for the club was that Roma going down a goal didn't mean the match mm-hmm. was over. It did not feel that way for the first half of the season at all. It felt like, okay, sometimes Roma comes slow out the gate for the first 10 to 15 minutes and a club scores against them but I did not ever feel the urge to turn off the TV because Roma got a first goal against them. I was like, okay, well, let's see how they come back against this. Um, and to be honest, I don't know where that mentality went again, especially against the Juve side that we've already said was not, that has not been impressive this season. Um, I don't know what the solution here is. Um, I, I mean, looking at Mourinho's comments post-match, he was, understandably pretty upset after both the Milan and Juve matches, you know, for different reasons. Um, I'm going to quote him here. So they asked him, you can't criticize the effort of your players, but nevertheless, you were up three, one up in this one. What happened? And he responds, unfortunately, I can't criticize them. I don't want to single out individuals, but I could. We were in absolute control of the game for 70 minutes with a desire to control the play. Both in the first and second half, we showed the right attitude tactically and in terms of organization in order to control the game. We did that really well for 70 minutes. But after that, we fell apart mentally. The goal that made it 3-2 kills me because Felix had a brilliant game considering his age. He finishes his shift with a sprint to close down Quadrado and stop an attack from them. Then I change him and the player that replaces him immediately makes a mistake. 
With a squad with a strong personality and attitude, there's no problem when you concede at 3-2. 3-1 and 3-2 are different score lines, but that difference isn't a problem to me. It is for the players, though. At the moment we saw the fr fragile mental attitude, the fear and the worries creep in. It happened last season, and it will surely happen again this season. Last year, we didn't win a game against a big team. Against Milan, there was just something more to it than just the performances of the two sides. But let me just say, we always have a go at the referees, but I think today it is fair that I say that Massa had a good game. I didn't see the penalty incident that was given, but I will. I thought he did well overall. When things turned to shit, my team got themselves up and showed they were good lads. It's one thing if there is a weak mentality, another if the lads aren't good characters. In our dressing room, there are good lads. If the game had finished 70 minutes, it would have gone down as an extraordinary performance. But after that, we also saw the limitations we have on the bench. Maitland-Niles has only just got here. Another will arrive next week. Zaniolo, El Sharawi, Mancini, and Karsdorf were all out. It hurts my soul because I'm not used to this sort of squad, but I'm here to help these players develop. So, Steve, what do you think about all that? I mean, that's yeah. obviously a lot to digest. I think let's let's maybe look at it from the beginning yeah. and talk about how he says, I don't want to single out individuals, but the goal that made it 3-2 kills me because the guy who subbed in for Felix dropped the ball. Yeah, and that so, guy is Eldor Shimordov. Without being named, he was named. And yeah. you know what? I, I don't necessarily think Mourinho wanted to name anybody by name after what happened in uh, the Bodo disaster and, and guys going sent to the stands. And, you know, let's be honest, Eldor was a guy who apparently Mourinho asked for. And one of the best assets about him as an attacking player, we had, had commented earlier in the season when he arrived, it wasn't his goal scoring uh, credentials that were on full display when they dropped about 20 million euros on him. He was a hustler, you know, he yeah. found goals through hustling. He's a guy who would track back press, you know, his pressing was something we figured was something Marina would value. And for him to be the one that makes the mistake uh, to lead to the second goal is very disappointing because yeah. you take out the young player who busted his ass for 70 minutes. I remember the play he made on Quadrado to break up a play where he tracked back a long way, Felix. Yeah. And then the veteran guy who's like 26, 27 years old is there because he has the work rate and hustle drops the ball. And yeah, it's hard to come to a match in, 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 in play already 70 minutes in you're coming fresh, but your job is coming with those fresh legs and press the hell out of them and not let them yeah. get that goal. And Elder dropped the ball. So I, I have no problem with him pointing that out. I think that's, that's for one. Uh, next, yeah. he talks about, you know, 3-1 and 3-2 are different score lines. Uh, but that's the difference. The difference isn't a problem for me. It's that the players, though, that had a problem where 3-1 to 3-2, they were no longer comfortable, you know? Yeah. Uh, I remember there's a saying that, like, 2-0 is the most dangerous lead in soccer because yeah. you, you feel like you have that cushion, but then as soon as you get hit once, that you're only you one feel goal very off. fragile you yeah. feel very fragile and here it wasn't two nothing but it was a two goal lead at three one and as soon as it mm -hmm. got cut to one roma got fragile real fast and and that really was not good um yeah. one thing that i want to seize on just you know not to add on pile on to shimurdov here but i feel like it does say something beyond felix's ability that felix is starting on the wing and shimurdov isn't at this point right yeah. like like if I was him, if I was the guy who came in as a new signing for, you know, 18 million euros and I had looked promising for that first couple of weeks, I remember we were really excited about how he looked for those first few weeks. Mm -hmm. He was slotting in assists. He was looking kind of like Zaniolo pre-injury when it came to just being able to run through defenders and make things happen. Um, for him to lose enough faith 
in Mourinho's eyes to no, now be the guy coming off the bench for the 18 year old who has like little to no um, top flight experience. That really says something. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, we're, we're with, probably with Shamur for the long term unless we can, you know, get someone to take a sweetheart deal. But our, so we, we need to hope that he can get his mojo back because he's probably our backup striker for the foreseeable future. Um, the other thing I would add what, to what you're talking about with, you know, the mentality, I do think that it was fascinating to see which players kind of looked more fragile after that second goal and which didn't. Um, so, I mean, he says, you know, Maitland Niles has only just gotten here, but I thought he looked pretty good in that match. Yeah. I, I had was no surprised with him. I was surprised. Um, not because I didn't think he would be good at Roma. I was pretty excited for him when he came in, honestly. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't have expected throwing him into the fire against Juventus in a totally different league to go well. Like even this Juventus, I don't think that p- playing a guy like him coming from the Premier League to Serie A for his f- first match to start against a relatively big club, I didn't think that was going to go well. And honestly, he was one of the more in- interesting players on the pitch for Roma, even when things started going to shit. Um, so I got to give props to him. Um, I do wonder, I do like, I, I think that the midfield showed its flaws again. Um, and I think that the central defenders showed their flaws again. Roger Ibanez had a terrible game and honestly he had two terrible games in a row to start off the new year uh that happens to defenders i'm not saying and like he's a young defender too so you know they have fits and starts it's not feasible to expect a guy who's 23 and a center back to you know be a world-class center back week in and week out that's just not feasible for a defender more than any other position however he's looking pretty bad and if and Shamuradov was the one who was almost named by uh, Mourinho in this uh, post match. Do you think that you know Ibanez should have been named, or you know someone who if if someone was going to be named, he probably would have been someone else named. Who who would be your not not necessarily even your sinner, but like your seventh layer of hell from this past week. For me, it's yeah. Ibanez and maybe even Vera too. Who would you go with? So I was just rewatching the highlights because I was trying to remember where Shimordov made the mistake. I see the bigger mistake on 3-3. So I'm, I'm wondering if Mourinho was misquoted on the when Shimordov made the big mistake because mm-hmm. Ibanez, to me, was the big center on the second goal. He yeah. let not Federico Chiesa, not Juan Cuadrado, not Paulo Dybala, <laughs> not one of their more uh, skilled dribblers of the ball beat him on that second goal. He was, <laughs> he was made to look silly by Alvaro Morata and no offense yeah. to Morata. He finds his goals, but I know like I'm in a group text with a couple of buddies who are not Roma fans, not Juve fans. And they just shit on Morata all the time. They, my buddy, I mean, even, not to be mean, text, but there's a reason why he's, yeah. he's shuffled from club yeah. to club over the past several Exactly. Years. And my buddy goes, imagine being down three, one and having to bring on, Alvaro Morata as the guy who's supposed to save you at striker. And I don't know if maybe because he's a Lazio fan, it was like a reverse jinx on Roma, but Morata made Ibanez look silly. And and Ibanez is a player who I have, you know, hyped up to the same friend a little bit because he was recently linked to Italy and we're both Italy fans. Like, you know, Ibanez might be a good prospect for Mancini at some point to try to get that dual citizenship and maybe give him a look because, you know, besides Bastoni, there's no real true star for Italy right now. As much as I love Mancini, that he has some holes in his game. Maybe Ibanez is the guy from Roma who might eventually play for Italy at center back. And 
between Milan and this match, oh man, he's made me look really bad. And because <laughs> this same friend, my buddy Nick, and he's just been like, I don't want this guy Ivani's anywhere near Italy after these two matches. Like, yeah, he's been really bad. And to get beat uh, yeah. on the dribble by Murata was very frustrating. Yeah, it definitely was a howler of a match for Ibanez. I've been thinking this for a while, but I'm going to start saying it a lot more. I feel, I still think that Ibanez has a huge amount of hype around him. Uh, and, you know, deservedly so. He's put in a really great season and a half as a center to, center back for Roma since he came, like, since he came from Atlanta as, like, kind of a guy who was like, oh, why are we spending $2 million on this dude? He's been a revelation, let's be clear. Like, two matches notwithstanding, he's been a revelation. However, matches like these, which always seem to happen at the worst possible time, really strike me as reasons to say if a Real Madrid, if a Manchester United, if a Barcelona comes sniffing around and offers big money for Ibanez, which I definitely think they could, I think that if you're Thiago Pinto, you kind of got to take that at this point. Um, there, there are times where Roma has been criticized for being a supermarket. Uh, and I would argue that losing Alisson or losing Mo Salah to Liverpool, both of those were situations where they had been playing at the peak of their form. And we didn't really see too many flaws when it came to their actual week to week play for Roma. If Ibanez is going to be sold for like a similar value, let's say 50 million, 60 million euros, which I still think he could be, uh, I don't. I, I think I've seen enough of his flaws that I wouldn't feel too bad about losing him, especially knowing how good Roma has been in the past several years at finding new center back talent. Um, Roma seems, if, if there's one position that I will never worry about Roma finding quality players, it's center back. Uh, we can just, I mean, I could just list off probably 12 to 15 center backs who have played for Roma in the 21st century who either went to bigger clubs after being at Roma or are considered, you know, not legends, but like continental class, world-class players. It's not going to worry me ever for Roma to find new center backs. So if a big transfer comes in for Ibanez, I say we should take it and, you know, spend money where we need it. What do you think about that idea? Yeah, I mean, I'm not completely opposed to it because, like you said, still a very young player, very high upside, it seems. But there are certain guys who always have these mental lapses and, maybe that might just be Ibanez. I know he's still 23, so there's still plenty of time for him to clean up his game. The talent is there. There's no question. The physical attributes are there. Uh, you know, sometimes these guys that are a little bit pacier at center back can maybe rely on their pace a little too much. We saw that with Kostas Manolas sometimes. Yeah. Um, I think Ibanez has a, a higher ceiling than even a Manolas at this point, but he's going to have to clean that up in the next year or two if he's ever going to reach like top top center back status like he could be a very good yeah. center back with the with the off games that he has and the mental lapses when they do come once in a while but to be like a, a superstar center back which i think he has like that marquinhos level ceiling uh based mm-hmm. on his talents alone i think they're gonna have to get cleaned up because this is now back-to-back big matches where they've shown up and really hurt roma uh yeah the the second goal against milan was was him giving the ball away um mm-hmm. You know, you can't have those kind of things. And um, we saw it against Lazio in the Derby last year. I think he gave away the first two goals on his own. So I don't want to criticize him too much because he is young. And I, I don't want to say he, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to completely write off a 23-year-old with his talents. But I think I think what you're saying, there's there's something to it. You know, if if someone throws 50 million at you for him, 
can you go and sign like um, another center back for 30, who's a little more experienced and maybe doesn't have the physical gifts that Ibanez has, but is a little more steady and, you know, invest. It kind of reminds me of Philippe Mexes um, from back in the day in the sense that he had matches where he was world-class, like Mm -hmm. just straight up period. No, like bar none. Like there were matches where when I was watching Roma with him, where I was like, okay, yeah, I probably wouldn't take any other center back over him. And then there were matches like the ones we're seeing from Ibanez over the past week where it's like, okay, you, you practically lost us this game. Yeah. And those players are infuriating to watch because you know that they have the overall ability. And I know that Ibanez has the overall ability. And I'm sure that if he was paired with the right level-headed center back, you know, like if he was paired with a more of a Leandro Castan type than Mancini is. Mancini, I think, is one of the more, is supposed to be the more kind of resolved and very kind of, and he's supposed to be the responsible one in the pairing. I think Ibanez is supposed to be the one who can like man mark a guy and make that guy's life hell and just take him out of the game. And to be fair, we've seen him do that a lot this season. You know, Vlaovic just disappeared yeah. when we when we played Fiorentina. And that was on Ibanez. Like he did a great job of just, getting him out of this that, that game. But for some reason, the Mancini-Ibanez pairing isn't enough to like counteract Ibanez's abil- like, ability to make huge mistakes. Like it's not enough that there's not enough level-headedness on Mancini's part to make it so that when Ibanez makes a mistake, it's not the complete end of the world. And I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if there's a tactical solution to that beyond doing something like telling Ibanez to, like calm down a bit but even then that kind of takes away some of his specialness as a player which I don't think you want to do so yeah I mean out of all the players in Roma starting 11 I think I would be the least upset if a mega money offer came in for either Ibanez or Jordan Veratu at this point um, to have them move away uh, for similar reasons honestly that they both I know what their peak ability is but so often especially in important matches it seems to just disappear and it seems to not be a possibility for either of them to be world-class when it matters. Um, which I, I, I guess brings us to Vertu, who I've talked about twice already. For a guy who's supposed to be the heart of our midfield, along with Lorenzo Pellegrini, he disappears a lot. Um, he does not assert influence over the match in important matches. And as opposed to Ibanez, you know, who's still only 23, I'm pretty sure that this is the Vertu that we're going to be getting for the long term, right? He's 28. Yeah. Like, this is the guy that he is. Um, at some point, you know, there, there have been rumors of Newcastle United sniffing around him for forever, and we know how much money they have. If you get, like, a decent offer for him, you take it, right? Yeah, I, he's completely different in my, bulb, uh, you know, in my mind than um... – than what we were talking about with Ibanez. Ibanez is still 23. He's got plenty of room to grow. There yeah. too is a, a completely different story because he's 28 going on 29 in just about a month and a half. He's, I see here on FB reference, he's 28 in 314 days. So he's two months away yeah. from, he'll be 29 March by the 1st. end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. So his ceiling, he's hit his ceiling and he does have those moments where you're like, this guy, it can be a really nice player. But to yeah. me, like on a, if you want to be like a Champions League aspiring team, a team that's finishing top four, pushing for the Scudetto like we'd like to be, 
yeah. he's not a regular starter in my mind and yeah, not I in a position where he needs to play a pretty defensively sound game. I think he'd be a nice complimentary yeah. player on any of the top sides in Italy, maybe a rotation yeah. player, because he does have some nice attributes. I mean, his free kick taking ability has been clutch this year. I mean, he's he yeah. assisted again yesterday on Tammy's goal. He's great on corner kicks. But in terms of a guy who I thought when he came, he'd be a little more defensively responsible because he used to be like our Nichols Morella signing his yeah. pressures yesterday. He was successfully three out of 16 times. Uh, yeah. Not very good for a guy who's like playing. I know he's not a DM, so I'm not going to say a guy who's supposed to be playing DM because against Milan, he was completely out of position playing as like the, the furthest back um, midfielder with Cristante sitting, but like to compare what Cristante did and he has his own flaws defensively. Don't get me wrong. Cause I'm going to talk about the DM yeah. position in a second. He was at least eight out of 15 on pressures. He was over 50%. At least then you're breaking yeah. up some of the play. I mean, he he didn't really do anything to impress us. Vertu had two tackles the whole match, no interceptions, no clearances. Um, you know, that's that's not good enough from a guy who's supposed to be playing in, I, I guess you would call it a three-man midfield yesterday, the way they were set up. Um, yeah. I hate to say it, but and I know that the French national team has a huge amount of depth, depth everywhere, but particularly in midfield. But when we first signed him, I hadn't been watching too many Fiorentina matches except when they played Roma. So I didn't know him as well. And I looked up how many appearances he racked up with Fiorentina. I was like, okay, he's, he's, he racked up, you know, 70 appearances over the course of two seasons with, uh, with them. That's impressive. Right. And then I looked at his French international caps and he was at like three when he signed with us, he had three senior team caps and this is going to sound mean, but I think that he's, if for the level of play that he provides on a week to week basis, I think that his peak as a like key starter for a club is for a club that has had the aspirations that or the results that Roma has had over the past couple seasons, yep. which is Europa League or ECL. Like, I do not think that you can build a midfield around Vertu and be a champions like anything other than like a group group stage dropout of the champions league i think that like depending on the league you could be like okay good enough to get into the group stage but that's about it um and i don't feel that way about cristante which i mean like a lot of people disagree with me on that but i think that cristante honestly if he was if he was paired with a more dm type player i think he would play the Veritu role better than Veritu does. Because as you said, you know, defensively, he actually kind of puts in the work a bit better than Veritu does. And he's only 26 compared to being 28. Um, but yeah, I, there, there have been rumors around both Veritu and Ibanez potentially being the subject of pretty mega money deals. And if either of those were real, I would take it if I was Diego Pinto. Yeah, Vertu, you, if, if Newcastle survives relegation and in the summer comes with like a 35, 40 million euro offer, I take it in a, in a heartbeat at this point. Yeah. I, I yeah. even 30, I would, I would probably consider because, like you said, his value is only going to go down. He's, he's pretty much at his peak coming uh, on a, you know, descent from his peak value at 29. He's yeah. not going to be anything better than he is. And he has plenty of holes in his game. I mean, let's just think about Roma like five years ago. And I know everybody has the nostalgia about this midfield, but I don't think Jordan Veratu sniffs many minutes in a midfield of Daniela De Rossi, Rangel no. Angolan, and Kevin Strutman 
You know, they, he even broken down Kevin Struben because, like, I yeah. I agree with you. People put the the rose colored glasses on that team heavily. Like, let, let me just I'm gonna say my 15 second piece about why we need to stop over romanticizing that team. Serie A was the weakest that I've ever seen it during that time period. So all those second place finishes don't really mean anything. And second of all, that midfield, as impressive as the individual players were, was basically only held together by the fact that Luciano Spalletti was like, yeah, I'm going to baby Raja Nangolan and give him everything that he wants. And people loved Ninja. I understand that. But he was like a Dennis Rodman type character on that side. I think that's honestly the best comparison that you can make. He was a Dennis Rodman type character. And it was evident that the moment that Spalletti left, that nobody else was able to turn Nangolan into the quality player that we needed him to be if we were going to pay him as much as we were paying him. So trans- so selling him for Santon, Zaniolo, and Cash, still a great decision. But anyway. Oh, agreed. Agreed on that. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I need to get that out because sometimes I see things, especially in our comment section, but I love, I, I do appreciate how involved people are on the comment section let me just say that but some people are overly wistful for that mid-2010s team which as a reminder couldn't win a Coppa Italia couldn't win it when we got to the semifinals of the Champions League like are they doing did they do better in results in a lot of ways than this current squad did of course but that doesn't mean that it was like particularly good it was still part of a massive drought as a club for trophies yeah the the the, the drought was still there in some ways, but he would not be a part of that. Yeah, rotation. exactly. Right. I think it, in some ways, Vertu was kind of looked at as like the poor man's Nangalan because he can make those late yeah. runs into the box. He can chip in goals from the midfield, but Nangalan much better defensively. It yeah. ta- tackled like an animal, you know, all yeah. three of those midfielders. That's the biggest difference. If we had a De Rossi type, and I'm not even saying like top level De Rossi, I'm even talking like De Rossi on the decline. Kind of passed it, De Rossi. Kind yeah. of passed it, De Rossi would still have this team in the mix, I think for fourth place, at least pushing it, you know, in fifth place, maybe pushing for fourth because watching that match yesterday on Paulo Dybala's goal, it became abundantly clear why this team needs a midfielder so bad. Why Jose Mourinho needs a midfielder. If you saw the positioning of the players, when Paulo Dybala shot that ball from like the top of the, I guess he was about 20 yards out because he was right around the top of the curve at the top of the 18 he was completely unmarked. Like this, you're yeah. talking about their best goal scorer on that team, their best player you on can't that team. Do that. One of the midfielders has to be somewhere in the vicinity to try to put a foot and try to take away the shot from him. He, you can't yeah. give him a wide open. He will pick the corner of the net out every time, every time. Yep. And that was I, one. So one thing that I'm, I was kind of curious about this. Um, I was looking at you know the long term like how Roma was doing in the early nineties, because the early nineties are basically the last time before, like when Totti was young is why I'm saying that. Um, The last time that Roma didn't really either have a world-class player or, you know, like good leadership in some way or another from like a homegrown guy who had proven himself in a way that Totti and De Rossi had. We, We were really lucky. We had about 20 years there where, where we had homegrown captains who were thought of it as world-class and made it, and, you know, made it work. And I think that in hindsight, Totti and De Rossi were adding at least one or two place notches on the table for this club every single season, not just because of their personal ability, but just because of their leadership ability. And 
you know, looking at how they were doing in the late 90s, you know, in 1997, 1998, Roma got fourth. In 1998, 1999, uh, Roma was fifth. In 1999, 2000, uh, Roma was sixth. So, I mean, not to say that we're in that in a similar period where we like have a player like Toti just waiting to explode. Cause I don't know if we have that, but I am saying that clubs that are younger and don't have a huge, like an icon at the center of them, which we've been really lucky to have for about 20 years, uh, find it harder in these moments. And I think that I do, I do think that on some level Pellegrini could become an icon of the club if things change in the next couple seasons. Um, but there's a reason why the bar has been so high for so many Roma born players in the past several years. You know, I think almost, you know, too high. I think it's because we were so spoiled by Totti and De Rossi for 20 years. And I do wonder how you get over that hump without either strong leadership or, you know, just a club icon kind of leading the way. Cause I don't think we have anyone who could be there just yet. Do you think that? Yeah, I think Pellegrini, I mean, I was, I'm going to talk about Pellegrini because you brought him up because we're talking about Roman icon type players. Yeah, I think you're right in terms of like the De Rossi Totti mold. I mean, we've been spoiled. We were spoiled for a long time for a club of Roma's level because we all like to think Roma's a bigger club than they are. They're no bigger than the fourth biggest club in Italy. We know this. And on the European stage, they're really not a heavyweight. The history says this. We all love Roma, but they're not. But having Totti and De Rossi put us in the category of being able to at least get into the Champions League most years, compete, get out of the group stage, and, and be on the European stage consistently at, at a decent level. Yeah. Pellegrini, I, first of all, he's taking some some flack for missing the penalty kick. Which to me is, which, I mean, like, which is do ridiculous. I like that kick style? No. No. But also, he was the only reason why Roma was, like, in it to begin with. Yeah. So, I, I like, like, anytime anyone who is dissing Pellegrini for given the season he's had so far really needs to get their glasses checked. Yeah. Like here's a guy coming off an injury, put in a decent shift against Milan, nothing great. Came back yesterday. If it wasn't for the bloodied head from the, the head from Chiellini in the 80s, you know, he's, he's last the whole match, but to, to blame him for not leveling the score on a penalty kick. Yeah, you're right. I hate that, that hop, skip and a jump penalty kick style. Every time I watch Jorginho do it for Italy, now I cringe because it no longer works. And it's probably the reason why, or, or it is the reason why that Italy's nearly missing a World Cup again if they don't get yeah. through the, that, that qualifying stage, which gets even harder because Federico Chiesa blew his ACL yesterday against Roma. That's a story for another day when, when Italy has to come around. But just a side note in case yeah. you haven't seen the Chiesa no, news. But Pellegrini, to give this guy shit because he missed a penalty kick after his team capitulated and blew a 3-1 lead, you can't blame the guy. I mean, the free kick he scored to make it 3-1 was absolutely brilliant. That was like Toti-esque. That was, that's the type of play that will put him in the next level because we've yeah. seen the goals from him this year. We've seen the assists from him this year. That is the second time now after the Cali match where he bailed him out of the Cali match with a, a yeah. free kick. Listen to some of his numbers from yesterday. He had six shots, two on target. He had eight shot creating actions, one goal creating action. I, I mean... Uh, let's see some of the other ones. He had nine progressive carries with the ball. Uh, let me look at some of his, his, I think he had a couple dribbles too. Let me see what, what he looked like in possession as I flip the page here. Um, but I mean, just three, just three passes broadly, without in, a doubt. 
Yeah, three carries into the final third. I mean, yeah. he he was good yesterday. He didn't have any dribbles. That was the Milan match where he beat somebody that I remember. But he he was good. I thought he was probably outside the penalty uh, yeah. miss. Their best player yesterday. He they missed him a lot when he was out. Uh, oh, his out. influence is huge. Uh, five progressive he, yeah. carry, uh, passes, three into the final third, three key passes. What the hell else do you want from the guy? Had an assist. Yeah. This, I mean, in some ways his performances this season, despite, you know, some of the mediocrity in the rest of the squad reminds me of like late era Totti when there was not a good squad around him. Like, let's be honest. Like there, there was not a good enough squad to merit anything other than like fifth or sixth place, which is where Roma was placing often. Um, but he still had enough influence on a match to, you know, sometimes turn a draw into a win or a loss into a draw. And I think that Pellegrini does have that ability right now. Um, to be kind of a difference maker on his best day. Uh, I, I would say that anyone who's say, blaming either Tammy Abraham or Lorenzo Pellegrini for Roma's woes, yeah. that's, they are the least culpable out of anybody in this squad, including Mourinho, I would say. Like, honestly, like out of any player, Mourinho and Thiago Pinto, like, Pellegrini and Tammy Abraham are at the bottom of the list when it comes to people who are to blame for Roma's current form and, you know, place in the table. Um, they are by far the best performing players of the season for the club. And they are also consistent. I mean, sure. Like Pellegrini had a red hot start to the season um, and he has not, you know, been red hot for the entire season. No player can do that. Like uh, Messi doesn't do that. Ronaldo doesn't really do that. Um, but they've both been so good for the entirety of the season that if you're trying to find someone to blame, neither of them should be on your list. And even yesterday, those are the two guys that saved face, in my opinion, more than anybody exactly. else. Uh, yeah. Without, without a doubt. Um, Smalling maybe up until the capitulation was, was okay, but uh, he, he was to blame on the fourth one. I mean, Matteo DeCilio scored the winning goal. That, that says a lot about how the match <laughs> yeah. really went sour. Um, we're going to take a quick break and then we will be back to talk about a couple more things here to wrap this episode. All right. Welcome back. We took our quick break. So now we're going to talk a little bit more uh, about Mourinho and his second comment and then talk about the manager himself and uh, break down this comment a bit. So Jim, second question was asked really just two questions posted on the Roma site. Did you think your personality alone was going to be enough to fix Roma? And he responded this way. No, I never thought that. I thought it might be a bit easier though. The performance put in for 70 minutes tonight and in other games as well is because of the talent we have, but the squad doesn't always have the ability, even among the players that play regularly, to manage their emotions in the game. I've been given three years here and I want to do every single one of them. I need some help from the club, but we will get to the level we need. We have agreed to take two players on loan. One is Maitland-Niles and another is a central midfielder that I think will arrive next week. He will bring personality, a different profile, and is used to taking responsibility. This comfort zone, playing to the fit, finish fifth or sixth or seventh of the league is too easy for some people, and we need to force ourselves out of that comfort zone. As I said to the boys after the game against Milan, it's them who need to come towards my mentality, not me who needs to come toward theirs. I don't want to do that. I think that quote has a lot in it, not nearly as long as the other one, but man, I think there is some, uh, you know, that has to be targeted at certain players, I think. So to be clear, um, the other central midfield, the central midfielder that he appears to be referencing is Sergio Oliveira. And um, it looks like 
according to, you know, one of these Portuguese transfer experts that that's basically done and that he might even be coming into Rome tomorrow. So yeah, uh, I saw one, one million, uh, one million euro loan with like an option with three years uh, for Oliveira for Roma exercise the option. I think about 15 million or something around there. Yeah, I do. Th- so some people regarding this loan have been saying like, oh, why are we bringing in Oliveira when we've been saying all along that we want a DM? I hate to break it to them, but I think that that might just be because of how unimpressive Veratu has been because this this guy strikes me as like a Veratu replacement and the way that he describes it as bringing personality and being used to taking responsibility I mean we talked already in this podcast about how we need more players who can take responsibility in this side and I've never been under the impression that Veratu for all of his ability is like much of a force in the locker room either and I think that that's what Mourinho wants I think Mourinho needs another mid, a midfielder who actually you know has kind of the not to use an overused phrase in the Roma verse but Grinta um to kind of be a difference maker on a play-by-play basis in the midfield um do you think that that wording that he describes Sergio Oliveira with kind of indicates that maybe he's more of a Veritu replacement for the starting 11 yeah I mean because when I looked at when I looked him up I haven't you know seen him play uh except for maybe in the Champions League against Roma. I think he was with Porto at that time too. Yeah. Um, You know, he's not a defensive midfielder. Their defensive midfielder is, um, I'm losing his name right now, but I remember us being linked to him recently. It's not Mm -hmm. him. Uh, He's listed as an attacking midfielder, center midfielder on football reference and all these other websites. So you're looking at a guy who probably can dictate possession a little bit more uh, because Roma has a big issue with that. So I think in that, terms i think the profile is different because maybe he can bring some different characteristics to the roman midfield that aren't there right now you know being able to to be cool under pressure we've seen vertu give the ball away plenty in his time at roma make some some needless turnovers to you know passing the ball into open spaces things like that so i certainly think um you know i didn't really think of it that way until you brought it up but i think he could be you know vertu's uh I don't want to say complete replacement, but I think he's going to push Vertu for minutes. And, um, you know, I think if Mourinho's looking for a different profile, he fits a different profile for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Because Roma, you know, certainly needs that. I also saw you uh, taking responsibility. I think certainly he's looking for other voices in the locker room and on the pitch of guys that are experienced because Oliveira is experienced. You know, he is another guy who's, pushing close to 30 he's 29 and uh, more than a half year so he's pushing close to 30 uh by the end of the loan and if they exercise the option he's 30 his seasons are from 30 age 30 to age 33 so certainly he wants some more experience in the locker room I think Lorenzo Pellegrini has grown into a captain in many ways I think he knows how to kind of control the emotions and and lead but you need more than one leader in the locker room I don't know if Smalling's a leader in the locker room. I don't know if Mkhitaryan. I don't know if those are guys like the vocal type players like a De Rossi yeah. was. You know, when Totti was captain, he had De Rossi. They don't captain. strike me as that. I think Mancini has that. I think Cristante has that, which is why they get the armband over these more veteran players when they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but controlling, managing emotions was something Mourinho brought up in that comment. We did not see emotions managed in the Milan match by Mancini and Karsdorp. And we didn't really see emotions managed in this one not that anybody went out and got a red card or anything like that in like an angry way where you see aggression get in the way and lose the emotions that way but being able to like maybe the emotion was fear that he's talking about or you know just 
the anxiety that kicked in when Juve got that second goal. There wasn't that calming presence, I guess, that he's looking for on the pitch. And, and that's a little worrying because like we've talked about at length earlier, 3-1 up should never happen. You give up a goal, yeah. so be it. You're still 3-2 up. You've been in control of the match. You've controlled at least half of the possession to that point. It wasn't like you were just trying to play in the counter the whole match. Um, so that, that I think, has something to do with it. I think, you know, Maitland-Niles certainly doesn't fit that profile because he's a young player. They just needed a right back in there. But I think Oliveira does fit that, uh, trying to get that veteran presence in there. And I wouldn't be surprised, as much as I love those Kamara links, uh, you know, up until recently for a defensive midfielder, I wouldn't be surprised if the DM we bring in in the summer, if we can afford them and, you know, attract the right player is somewhere in that 26, 27 age range, or even a yeah. little bit older. I mean, on the, on the one hand, Mourinho has shown that he's not afraid to play younger players, but I think that he's probably realizing at this point that you can't just play younger players, yeah. like even a world-class manager, which, you know, some people I know are getting hesitant about labeling him that way, but I, I still think of him that way. Um, I think that even a world-class manager probably can't win with just a huge amount of young players and only bringing in young players. You need to have some veteran presence in your starting 11, and we really don't have that right now. Um, So as much as Kamara was intriguing, I do hope that we can maybe try to find a way to get somebody who's maybe in their late 20s, has won some things, and wants to, you know, prove something else uh, in the near future, maybe whether that's in January or the summer for that DM position. Yeah, because he does talk about the team having – talent and ability and I, I think the talent is, there is a lot of talent on this roster there are some pieces missing to really take it to that next top four level and maybe eventually by the Mourinho's third season push it closer to Scudetto contention but you're mm-hmm. right you can't play all young players you know if you're yeah. playing the 24 25 year olds with a bunch of 22 23 year olds there's going to be some holes uh yeah. you know Mancini can't be your senior player outside of like Mkhitaryan when he starts or something like that so I do think he's going to look to bring in a mix. I think, you know, young talent, Tammy Abraham, Lorenzo Pellegrini is still on the upswing big time. Uh, Zaniolo, you know, a lot of people are starting to criticize him. He wasn't even involved in this match yesterday. We didn't miss him offensively uh, because the rest of the team stepped up. But talent, young, young talent, you know, he, he might never be the player he was before the two busted ACLs, but the talent's there if, if he can, you know, get things going in the right direction. Uh, you know, we talked about Ibanez. If they keep Ibanez around, young talent. So there's plenty of young talent, but I think we do need that steadying veteran presence that this team lacks. There's no, uh, you know, we talked about that Spalletti team that set our points record and still lost to Juve. There was plenty of veteran presence on the team. There was Dzeko, De Rossi, uh, Totti, you know, all these guys, even if they were at the tail end, to kind of calm things down at certain times. And yeah. losing emotions. We saw De Rossi lose his emotions plenty of times. We saw Totti do it. I mean, I remember that kick yeah. out against Balotelli in the, the Copa Italia <laughs> or the Supercopa, whichever one it was. That was yeah. that was dirty. You know, we've seen Totti yeah. uh, with the Polson incident in the Italy-Denmark game. So everybody Totti was not it. the cleanest player, and neither was De Rossi, no. and we all need to admit that. Yeah, and so everybody <laughs> loses it sometimes. But yeah. to, for the all 11 players in a position where they were in the lead to lose their emotions in a completely different way, was very hard to watch. I think that what Mourinho realizes he does say he wants to be here for all three years, um, which is, I guess, encouraging if you're a Mourinho fan, because a lot of people think Mourinho's heart isn't in it for three years. They think he might be gone sooner. Um, Last part, he did say he wants the players to come to his mentality, which, you know, is something he's been credited with throughout his career for instilling that mentality. That was what we all thought he was bringing. Um, But let's talk about Mourinho a little bit. I know that 
Bren uh, is is very sour on Mourinho right now. I mean, he put out a tweet from the the CDT account that said, "I have a sincere question uh, for some of you," and he put seriously. What is it about Mourinho that gives you such tremendous faith that he's the man to succeed where so many others have failed in Rome? You know, I, I don't know how many people are losing faith. I see some losing faith, some saying you got to give him his time. Where are you in that debate right now? Yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing that I would say that I think is really just important to acknowledge is that unless things really, really fall apart, like I'm talking like below mid table fall apart, I'm pretty sure we're going to be with Mourinho for the extended future. Um, I think that ownership has no interest in having like an 11 million euro per year contract around their neck. Um, I also think that they're probably very aware that if they fire him or like let him go, that they will not get a manager of like near or near that level of quality, um, period. Like they will not get a replacement of that level. Mm-hmm. Um, we will get someone who's probably worse than Fonseca because any manager with two brain cells to rub together would look at Rome and say, wait, they just chewed out one of the best coaches of all time. Even if you take away his past six years, like the winning that he had as a manager in most of his career, like he's already like a Phil Jackson type clip character in the world of soccer. And if Roma and the Roman media and Roma fans will chew out a manager that quickly, no manager worth his salt is going to want to come to Rome to do the cleanup act. Uh, So that's one reason. I don't think it's going to happen, period. Like, I just don't. Um, Would I want it to happen? Not really for similar reasons. I don't see what the alternative is. I don't see, like, I I don't, I think I'm past the point. Uh, I've always been skeptical of the idea that, you know, replacing a manager is like a shot of serotonin for, a club like it just makes everything better somehow it never really does no. it's always it's it's about the players more than it is about the manager and we've had the same problems with players at this club regardless of manager regardless of ds regardless of ownership group at this point for basically what since 06 like we haven't won anything thing since 06 right so i would i guess i would just say I don't, if someone, I would flip that question on its head. What is it, I don't think it's important to say what it's about Mourinho that gives him me such faith that he'd be the man to succeed where so many others have failed. It's more that I really don't see anybody else succeeding if he it can't succeed here. Does that, does that make sense to you? Like, yeah. I, I, I just, I don't see a replacement out there where I'm like, yeah, fine. Let's try it that way this time. Like we've gone through every single type of manager you could possibly think of before Mourinho. We went through the guys who have prior experience at the club who have brought success to the club. We went through Spalletti and Zama. We went through the young guy who has like experience at the club as a player. We had EDF. We had Paolo Fonseca, the guy from a smaller club who did some intriguing stuff at the smaller level, took down some Titans and then he got his next big break. None of them were able to get Roma a title of any type. Nothing, not even a Copa since the Spalletti yeah. days. Since so it's like the first okay. spell of Spalletti. Yeah. So like my, my opinion on this is like, yeah, sure. Mourinho is not like making us a Champions League contender yet. Nobody else would either. So like, what is the point? Like uh, firing him would, would change nothing. And I'm convinced that nobody else would do a better job than he's doing right now. 
Yeah, I, I agree with the point you made. I think you make a great point. If you spire, uh, fire him, first of all, you owe him 11 million euros a season. No ownership wants to eat that, especially not in Roma situation. We're not like, yeah. we're not an EPL team that can afford to eat 11 million Yeah, Tottenham million can euros. afford that and still be yeah. a mess every single season. Cheers to Tottenham, by the way. Yeah. Um, but like, we're not, we're, no. we're, we're, we might be the Tottenham of Serie A in the sense that like our expectations are probably too high. And, you know, we're from a major city and everyone expects us to play better than we do. But like we're not Tottenham in terms of cash flow. We cannot just eat yeah. 11 million euros a year. And like you said, who else wants to come after that? And not only that, are, we don't have the money like a Tottenham to then go hire Antonio Conte for big money to try to cover for the mistakes exactly. we made with Jose Mourinho. Uh, yeah. I haven't given up on Mourinho yet. I agree it's a three-year project. He needs to be given his time. At this point, if this season completely goes south, so be it move the players out you need to move out bring in the players he wants because you got to give the players the right players i mean we're look at latio look across the stadium i don't even have to say across the city look across the stadium they're yeah. pretty much level with roma i think with a match in hand uh, after they lost yesterday it might be a point up below i don't even know the exact standings but they're pretty much in the same space because they went from inzaghi's three five two to now p- trying to play Saudi ball four three three it doesn't work uh, a player yeah. like a cherubi who was great for um Inzaghi looks terrible for Saudi because he's slow can't can't play the way they wanted to play so it takes time I, I think you know as much as I hate to compare us to Lazio they're in the same boat and I, I tell yeah. my buddy Nick this we we agree 100% because they're in the same boat you know Lazio can't defend well enough to play Saudi ball Roma has other issues especially in the defensive midfield you know if we had an SMS yeah. type player I think we would be much better off not that he's even a true defensive midfielder he could just boss a midfield though um yeah so I, I, I don't, think, yeah. I don't see Mourinho going anywhere. And then I see people all over Twitter now with the re- revisionist history. We'd be better off with Fonseca. We were uh, eight points better heading into, I guess, this weekend. I think it was. I think it was through twenty. Yeah, you had a great comment about this. Yeah. Actually, I remember seeing that they they were eight points better. Uh, yeah, true. Forty one points. The thirty three Mourinho had heading into the Juve match. I don't know what and the wheels did. fell off. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what they did in their twenty first match under Fonseca. I don't know if they stayed at forty one or they were even better than that. But yeah. Roma finished the season with 62 points last year, I think it was. Yep. That means they had 21 points in their last 18 matches. Yeah. So People the wheels completely fell history. off. So it, it yeah. turns into revisionist history because guess what? Roma was in second place, I think, at the time when they were, were on 41 points. I don't... <laughs> It feels like ages ago, but I, I remember doing those pieces uh, league-wide, like, you know, other teams around Roma race for a Champions League, because I thought we'd be in the race for the Champions League all yeah. year when we were in second place through 20 matches. They finished in seventh place after being in second just about yeah, halfway through the, the year. At the winter, no, at the winter break, we were behind only Milan. Yeah. And then we just fell apart. And por- part of that does come down to Veratou getting injured at the exact wrong moment. Yes. Like, like Fonseca's midfield was built around Veratou. And then Vertu basically did not exist in the second half of the season. They lost and him stunk. and Spinazzola at the same time too, I think, in that United match, yeah. right? Which didn't yeah, exactly. Help. Yeah. So, I mean, like part of it is that injuries really screwed over Fonseca. And I can imagine some people saying, well, if Fonseca hadn't had the injury troubles and had actually been able to play with Zaniolo and things like that, it would be different. Fine. If we go into hypotheticals like that, I can see saying like, oh, they wouldn't have slid down all the way to seven. However, um, I not to be too mean about it, but there's also a reason why he's still unemployed. <laughs> yeah, like, he ha- he has his limitations in some areas for sure. Like I think that he will 
he's a good coach. Am I, was I sad when we lost him to a certain extent? Yeah. But I got why ownership wanted to leave their mark on the club by bringing in their own manager instead of bringing in like Pelota's leftover guy. Um, and I understand why Mourinho was brought in. Like I, I look at, I'm not a Mourinho stand. Don't get me wrong. Like, I think that he's a good manager, but I don't think of him as like the be all and end all. I wouldn't follow him from club to club. I know some people do that fine to each their own, but that's not me. When I look at his Manchester United and Tottenham stints, I see management issues that honestly remind me a lot of how Palotta ran AS Roma. A lot of tinkering from people who didn't really know what they were doing and a lot of kind of fighting against what the coach wanted in terms of transfers and things like that. Uh, and, you know, drama with DSs, drama with everything. And the one thing that really has me maintaining my confidence both in this new ownership group and in Mourinho as an extension of that is that this is like the exact opposite of a dramatic club at this point. Like sure, Mourinho can get fired up in interviews every now and then about stuff. And like, in my opinion, with do good reason, but the ownership never like releases a statement saying this is a total garbage, like screw Lazio or whatever, like Pelota used to. Like they don't make statements. For the freaking do not make statements about the club, which, you know, it's not that they're not watching the games and caring about the ownership. They're just not, they realize that that's not their place. And that gives me confidence in the long term that they'll have way more patience and that they won't make a lot of mistakes by firing the wrong people or firing the right person at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I got really tired of how Palota ran the club. And the thing that gives me confidence for Roma going forward is that the freaking group really seems to know how to run an organization far better than he did. Yeah, I, and I some people, and this this criticism may be justified that they just went for the biggest name they could get that was on the market. But Mourinho comes with a track record for a reason. His last couple stops haven't been great, like you said. But those clubs aren't the best run clubs either at this point. You know, United yeah. has been not a joke, but they've struggled since Ferguson retired. You know, yeah. and Tottenham, like you said, has, has their own issues where they have that kind of maybe inferiority complex of the other big teams in the P in the EPL. So they are not so patient as they should be. I think Roma has to be more patient. You made a decision, stick with it, you know, at yeah. least give him at least give him two full seasons. You can't blow it up this, this soon. I know there's yeah. some people questioning if he'll even last the end of the season. You, you can't blow it up this soon. I'm, I'm sorry. You, you have yeah. to stick with them. Um, you know, I, I, I know Bren, particularly harsh right now. I know he, he started a new job, so we couldn't get him on the, the podcast. I wanted to get his thoughts on it. But mm -hmm. at some point, maybe if things keep going bad, we can we can have him come on and talk about it. But I think you got to give him time. Let Pinto get a couple more players for him. If next year we finish eighth place again or something, then maybe you got to reconsider. But yeah, you, you know, we might not even finish seventh this year. At some point, in some ways, I don't. If we're gonna finish seventh, I'd rather finish eighth. I've said this before on the podcast. Like, yeah. don't give don't give me conference league hell again. It's not helping the team in terms of like fitness and and things like that. Um, if we can win the conference league this year, great. It's a trophy, right? Yeah. But if not, it, it becomes a big waste of energy in some ways. So uh, hopefully it's at least the Europa league at minimum, you know, the schedule coming up, isn't the, the most difficult, but Roma's, you know, maybe not in the Roma's best headspace Roma. right now. Yeah. And they're not in the best headspace right now. So yeah, uh, let's end on this last question, Jim, where do we go from here? We keep watching. 
<laughs> I mean, like, honestly, that's the only answer I have. Like, there's nothing that you and I can do to change the, the no. direction of the club. And maybe um, by we, I, I mean more the, where does the team go from here? Yeah, I mean, where the team goes from here is, you know, a great question. Hopefully, Sergio Oliveira comes in and is a positive influence. I think we've already said that Maitland-Niles looks pretty good already. Uh, I would say that certain players really need to get a kick in the pants if they want to stay around beyond the summer. Yeah. Like, it's as simple as that. And I think Jordan Veritu is on that list. I think that Roger Ibanez is on that list. I think that Brian Cristante is close to being on that list. I think that Nicolo Zaniolo is probably here for at least another six months to a year just because they're going to give him as much runway as he needs to be able to succeed, I think. But if Roma keeps underperform, like I think that it was far easier for Roma to be like, okay, Nico, take your time to get better when the club was looking pretty good to start the season. Like it was okay that he was somewhat underwhelming when we were winning a lot of matches. But now that, you know, we're halfway through the season, things are getting tough. He needs to really find that gear or we're going to have to start asking questions. Um, so I think there are a lot of players that need to look in the mirror and decide whether they want to actually be a part of a Mourinho team for better and for worse. Uh, when it I, And I think he's 100% right about the mentality thing too, that saying like, I need the players to come to my mentality because not to be too simplistic about it, but he's won a lot and nobody on our side other than like Mkhitaryan has won anything. So, yeah. or like, I guess some of the Italian players won the Euros, but even then that doesn't like, I mean, it counts, but it kind of it, like, you know, it, it sort of yeah, different. It's different. Yeah. It's different than winning a, at the club level. So I guess I would just say like the players need to have a come to Jesus moment. Um, I don't know how that happens. Uh, I don't know who gets moved, but it does seem like on some level, this was probably inevitable with Mourinho that, certain players who might talk the talk when it comes to being interested in playing with the standards expected of, you know, this new ownership group and Mourinho more broadly uh, are now realizing that, Oh, I can't just, you know, be satisfied with fifth or sixth place again. And we'll see what happens. I, I have no idea what will happen, but I, at the very least it'll make for, Maybe not entertainment, but, uh, you know, it will never be short of storylines. Yeah. At this point, you know, top four probably out of play, most likely. I'm not going to write it off completely because there's still 17 match weeks left, but Roma is. And certain you know, teams are losing players quickly. Yeah. Let's, just, let's just let it be known. Like yeah. Juve is now without Chiesa. Um, Napoli seems to be falling apart at the seams. Like nobody's having a good go yeah. of it other than like AC Milan suspiciously. Sorry, I'll, I'll tamp down the conspiracy theory. But, like, nope, there are enough clubs that are struggling that I still have some faith that Champions League could be achieved. Yeah, so just looking at the table, level with Fiorentino. Fiorentina has a match in hand. Six behind Juve. Same ma- match is played, but now, you know, the tie break is completely in Juve's favor. And then uh, nine behind Atalanta for fourth, who has a match in hand. 11 behind Napoli, who has played the same amount of games. And I'm going to talk about the Milan clubs. So it's going to be tough. Uh, I think at bare minimum, the they have to shoot for or Europa League. Like I said, I don't, I don't want to see them in the Conference League. Um, yeah. Just looking at the matches coming up, Cagliari on Sunday. Then it's a Copa Italia match midweek against Lecce. Uh, away to Empoli. For some reason, the last weekend of uh, January, there are no matches. I don't know why. If one of the listeners knows why, certainly tweet at us, because I'm not sure why the weekend of the 30th, there are no matches. Then it's home for Genoa, away to Sassuolo, home for Verona, 
away to Spezia to close out February, and then they don't play Atalanta until March. So really they have a, a stretch of matches where you would hope that they show up and they could get a result in most of those matches. And the one thing I'm going to say that I never really thought about much until just now when I looked at the schedule, so Lecce and the Coppa Italia, I think Roma's got to go for it in the Coppa Italia this year. Yeah, I, know, I agree with that. I know it only guarantees a Europa League spot, but heck, that might be a place where Mourinho could steal a trophy. Uh, yeah. At, with, without the travel of the conference league going to these random places, even though the sides will be tougher in the Copia if you get to like the round of eight and four and, and then the final. But that's yeah. a place where you can build the mentality too. You can will, build the winning mentality uh, where if you see the league is starting to slip away, guess what? You throw your eggs in that Copa basket just to get some wins against big sides. Maybe even if you don't win it, at least get to like yeah. the semis or the final because it's been too long since we've been in a final there too. So mm-hmm. uh, my hope as we close is just that Roma bounces back against Caliti. Very winnable game, obviously. Caliti is in the relegation zone. Um, and then just just play their game. You know, they can beat all those teams and hopefully they win the majority of those games and at least make the rest of the season interesting, show some improvements. You know, Mourinho only has to get, I guess, in the second half of the season, 29 points out of a possible however many are left to at least match Monseca and better him with 30 points, which is very doable in 17 matches. And and some of the they've already got a couple of the big matches out of the way in the second half of the calendar. So uh, certainly very doable to show that improvement, at least in the point side of things. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree that Copa should be the goal, but I've always felt like Copa should be the goal every year. And everyone who's like, oh, it's too big for Roma or too little of a competition for Roma. No competition is too little for Roma, let's be honest. We, we have yeah. not won enough to, to be able to say that anymore. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think Copa is a reasonable goal. I think that, you know, I, I hope, that at least Europa League is reasonable because we need something to attract people and just being like, hey, you get to play with Mourinho isn't probably enough. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens in the next week or so. I, I hope that we're in a better mood uh, coming out of next week uh, than we are coming out of this one. But uh, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. I hope you have a really great week. Uh, hopefully Roma gives us more to smile about than uh, they did in the past couple of days. Yeah, thanks again for listening. I'm sure the the listener questions will be back in the next couple of match days. We didn't get any this one because we just had a lot to talk about. Uh, but again, thanks for listening. And you can always tweet at us or post in the message board. So let us know your thoughts on, uh, on what we had to say.